As you have a seat, let me welcome you and uh, introduce myself. My name is Kenan Vaughn, and I've got the uh, privilege of being one of the elders and pastors here at Harvest. And I'm so excited to have the chance to um, open the word this morning that we might, as we just sang, be nourished by his word together. I, um, you could be opening to 1 Corinthians 12. That's probably where we'll begin this morning, but I'm going to give us a little bit of an intro uh, in just a minute. Uh, let me first say that uh, we have, uh, we're in the second week of just a three-week series, uh, generally um, if you've been here long, you know that we, uh, we love to camp out and, and just walk through books of God's Word, part of our uh, commitment to expository teach God's Word. But every once in a while, usually about this time of year, um, we'll, we'll kind of do a, uh, some kind of a, a call back to our core values. In this case, this year, it's a, a, a call to uh, be the church. I don't just want us to come to church as much as understanding what it means to be the church. And last week, we talked about what that looks like in terms of corporate worship. And this week, I want to talk about that means in terms of covenant membership. And so uh, that'll be kind of our, our topic this morning. We'll draw from various areas in Scripture uh, to hopefully shed light on the importance, the value, um, uh, really the urgency and necessity of uh, membership and a local visible expression of the overarching body of Christ. So that's where we'll be just a morning, uh, in just a moment this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that we can dive into your word and uh, that we can be nourished that we are going to have a spiritual meal together this morning with our spiritual family. And so, God, would your spirit move uh, in a way that uh, impresses on us uh, the importance of membership, not just merely as something we need to do, but something we must for our sake, for the sake of those we love, and for your glory among the nations. Uh, Father, will you help us to see clearly this morning and think clearly by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. And, uh, and, and Lord, I ask that as I speak, I would decrease because I must, because you must increase. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me, uh, let me add one other word that I'm supposed to announce that's important. We, we uh, to help with our children transition and everything we're doing, we need to um, uh, just work together on this. If you've got children, uh, if you could drop them off between 8.50 and 9, that would really help us. In other words, don't drop them off at like 8.12. Okay, because it creates a really long time for our teachers to try to be uh, uh, overseeing their classroom, and, and it, it's hard for them to have a rhythm of what they're doing and, and what we're doing as a church to uh, train up our children. So try to drop them off just 10 minutes before the service, 8.50 to 9, and we're going to finish always right around 10.20 in here. And when we do, if you have young children, if you could not dilly-dally, as my mom used to say, and just go ahead and get back and get your kids as quick as possible so we can have a little bit of time of transition, we're asking folks in the second service to drop off after 8, uh, sorry, after 10.30, and then again, pick up as quickly as they can at the end of the second service. So that would just really help us if you kind of uh, stick closely to those bookends. We're going to be committed in both services to go in 80 minutes just to really help those that are laboring uh, faithfully and caring for and teaching the children. They've communicated to us that we need that consistency to be able to do what we're trying to do there. So we're going we're gonna to honor that together. Okay, so um, I'm going to try to get my mind and our minds and hands around this, uh, this topic of membership in one sermon. Again, each of these could be a series, but I just kind of wanted to uh, uh, do some flybys to kind of remind us of what is critically important that is unique about the local body. 
so, so in other words, I think that um, there are, 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 obviously we worship apart from corporate worship, but there's something unique about coming together, as we talked about last week, in corporate worship uh, that's something unique we do as a body that I think the gospel compels us towards. And I gave you six reasons why I think it's so important in the life of a healthy church. And, uh, and today I want to talk about uh, something else that I think is incredibly important, really I'd say vital, in the life of a healthy local church, and I think, again, the gospel compels us towards it, and that's covenant membership. Now, let me just start by saying the Bible does not explicitly command membership, not that I can find, but it does assume that any Christian would be tethered to a local body or local assembly of like-minded believers in some kind of a covenant relationship. So we call that membership. But the Bible does take on that assumption throughout the New Testament writings. Paul, almost every letter he writes is either to a local church with specific issues and dealings going on with a committed group of believers or to a pastor of a local church. So the only context we have for even understanding most of the literature of the New Testament is the idea of a, of a, um, a group of people that are accountable to one another. Uh, that are in a covenant relationship with one another. Not just folks that kind of randomly gather here and there in the name of Jesus. Um, same thing I'd say even in John's re- uh, uh, revelation that he gets from Jesus about the second coming. Jesus pauses uh, in that re- or begins that revelation by giving him seven letters for seven churches. He's speaking uniquely to the issues going on in those seven churches. Uh, Hebrews 10, we talked about last week, says don't forsake the coming together of the assembly. Uh, there's this idea that there would be an assembly of, of like-minded people that are accountable to one another, that are covenant together in fellowship. And then most compelling, and the reason I say the New Testament the reason I can say wholeheartedly it, it, uh, it assumes that this will be happening, that this must happen, is because we get almost 60 directives in the New Testament on specifically, in the context of a local expression of the big C body of Christ, the universal body of Christ worldwide. There's a local expression, and in that local expression we have six, almost 60 commands of how we're to live with one another that would be impossible to live out with every Christian on the globe. But we're to bear with one another, uh, bear each other's burdens, We're to rejoice and weep with one another in times of celebration and sorrow. Um, We're to love one another in a unique way that displays to the lost world what's different about the love of Christ. Like there's supposed to be something tangible about Christ's love that's made uh, that's made experiential, tangible in the, in the fellowship of a local body of believers that can't just be done um, uh, ethereally with every believer on earth. So the Bible assumes this idea of a local church more than it commands it. But understand that uh, John Piper said it this way, in the New Testament, to be excluded from the local church, especially in the early church, was to be excluded from Christ. There's not meant to be some reality of the Christian life that's just lived in a silo. It's meant to be lived out in a body of believers accountable to one another. Now, I mentioned last week uh, that, 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 in fact, all three of these messages in this little mini-series all fly in the face of consumerism. Last week I talked about it, corporate worship. It's, it's, it's a time we're generally used to, in today's culture, getting your coffee, uh, sitting down if you're tired, or standing up, going through the, the process of the service, and seeing, finding a, a, a service somewhere that kind of tickles your different preferential fancies, and that you are pleased in these services. And, and that's the place you kind of stick. And, and, and ultimately, we've kind of lost the whole idea of what it comes together, verb form, to worship God, that this is not about our being pleased. We come together that the Lord might be pleased. We hope a byproduct of a healthy worship service is that you are incredibly edified. I'd far rather use that word. That you are convicted and nourished in those things we've seen and talked about even this morning and certainly last week. And we hope that even the non-believer that comes in would find something so incredibly attractive about the gospel that his uh, mind be uh, illumined, his heart be quickened to the truth that's in the word versus the lies that are in the world. 
We hope there's a spiritual awakening happening every single time we're together in the, in the heart of the, the lost person. But even as important as those things are, they are secondary to what's primary when we gather, that we render to the living God the glory due his name. That's what we're doing here. Everything else is secondary. And that flies in the face of consumerism. That same consumerism uh, has produced a spirit in today's Western evangelical church, especially in the area of the country we live in, that is kind of averse to membership, kind of allergic to this idea of membership. Most people uh, would just prefer to come and go as they please without having to make any kind of formal commitment or declaration. Why? Well, it's obvious why. That would demand something of me. Wouldn't it be easier if no one counted on me for anything, if there was no expectation of, on me, if I was responsible for nothing, certainly that would be easier, far easier, far less biblical, far more dangerous to your soul, uh, far more selfish, obviously, and even childish. You know, I'm constantly with my boys in a season right now where I'm trying to, uh, that one of the great wins in our household is when any of us, me included, can think about the needs of someone else above our own. It's a great challenge. We celebrate the heck out of that when it happens, and I would love to see that happening on a consistent basis. We know how to care for ourselves. We know how to be selfish. We're born that way, it's, and it comes second nature. We take care of all number one. It's a, it's a, it's a practice, it's a discipline to uh, consider others more significant than yourself. It's not something we do well uh, in our American culture at all. It's something that we are generally very selfish, and yet the gospel compels us outward. The very life and ministry of Christ was a life laid down for the sake of others. So here we are following him, and the compulsion of the gospel, what it really sinks in is that we would give ourselves for the sake of others. That we would step up to a standard of what demands much of me and am I responsible, can I be counted on, and expectationally for the sake of others. The gospel presses us towards that, not away from it. And so let me just start with a verse, and again, we're going to kind of pull from various areas in the New Testament. A, a verse in 1 Corinthians 12 got on the screen for you. Uh, 12, 12 says, just as the body is one, now it's talking about the body of Christ. There's one body of Christ in this world, big C, church, anyone that has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It has many members, many members, individual members of the body, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. Now, here's what I want you to catch from that. All the members of, of the body of Christ worldwide are one universal body of Christ. And yet what the New Testament gives us over and over is there's a way that expresses itself in a local visible community. There's a way that we're to be a body that people can see, touch, taste, feel, uh, experience a relationship with a body. Like there has to be some way to express what the New Testament says it means to live out our faith in covenant relationship as the body, as many members, one body. It's gotta be seen. It's gotta be held somewhere. It's gotta, it's gotta mean something, not just to us, but to the world. And so that's what I wanna talk about this morning. I think the gospel compels us towards the local church, and I think it does it for five reasons, okay? Five reasons this morning. The first one is for the sake of one another. For the sake of one another. Uh, got in my hand here a, a letter. This, this, this is the letter here that my dad wrote me uh, just a few months before he passed away. And um, uh, I don't need to read it to you because I've got it memorized, but, but I'll tell you what he said. Uh, he starts the letter by saying, life is struggle and struggle is life. Now I'm reading this as a 16-year-old. Dad's 42. He's only a few months from passing away. He knows he's going to die. I don't know he's going to die. He hasn't shared with me what's going on. He's critically ill at the time. And, and so... Um, 
he says, this is going to be true. And I'm 16 getting a letter thinking, guys, that's kind of a downer. You know, thanks for writing me a letter. That's first. But this is kind of, you know, like, uh, just kind of heavy. It's struggle, and struggle is life. And then he goes into two paragraphs where he basically says, here's what you need to do. You need to build quality friendships. Now, my dad wrote this either as a, a non-believer or a baby believer, okay? And he said, you're going to need quality friendships, quality relationships. You're going to have to have folks you can depend on and that can depend on you if you're going to make it through. He said, pay particular attention to your sisters. They're your family. Don't ignore them. <laughs> Apparently, that's what life, my life looked like as a 16-year-old. Don't ignore them. Build intimacy with them. You must have each other to make it through. I mean, I'm reading this going like, what does he know that I don't know? And he ends saying, your faith will be your anchor in this turbulent sea we call life. Now, um, my dad said from a, from a new believer understanding what the Lord says in his word, you need quality relationships that aren't merely, merely built on natural affinity it's not, you just don't, not just same kind of coffee we like or same, came from the same neighborhood. Like, it's going to have to be something that is representing the best we see as a family. So you're going to have to have such quality, intimate relationships that you can lean on one another in this life that is hard and it's a turbulent sea. You're not meant to be alone at sea in the Christian faith. Not meant to be lived alone. Speaking of a turbulent sea, my wife and I recently just went to uh, California. We had a great time, great little vacation, and, and we were just walking this little town one day, and um, this guy, you know, got struck up a conversation with the guy. He found out that we were uh, just vacationers, and he said, oh, you know what y'all should do? And we said, what? He said, y'all should go whaling. And we were like, never, never heard of it. He said, yeah, 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 it's the greatest thing. I'm a local. If there was anything I'd tell you to do. And so we said, you know what, let's do it. We cleared our calendar the next morning. We didn't have anything on our calendar, but we, we, we decided to make plans with the space that we had on our calendar to go whaling. And so we, um, we went, some of you may have done this, get on this boat. And by the way, it's like a four-hour deal. So we go out to sea, and, um, and you know, I mean, uh, he said, make sure you get on a larger boat so you don't get seasick. We got on the largest boat that was docked down there, and, and we get out there, and I mean, just the boom, and we're going, and about 30 minutes in, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like, I could feel a rumbling, and I was kind of looking around, everybody's so excited, we're going to see, you know, see a whale soon, and all of a sudden, about 45 minutes in, we see some humpback whales, which, by the way, props to the man, was epically unbelievable. It's not the same as seeing them on TV, like, the massiveness of a whale is overwhelming. I mean, you just, I wanted to worship right there, like that God would create these whales. Jonah became a lot more realistic when I saw this. I mean, these things would come right next to, they could have swallowed the boat. I was overwhelmed, and it was amazing. Now, about an hour in, I'd seen a, a flurry of whales, and I was really starting to, my, everything was starting to spin, and we're just continually bouncing, and I was like, okay, you know what, this is great, got some awesome pictures, we need to turn this thing around. I noticed my, my wife was doing the same way. Look, everybody was so excited, cameras ready early on. About an hour, hour and a half in, everybody had moved toward the back and towards the middle. We're all sitting down. There's guys' heads between their legs. And I'm going, hey, Catherine, we have three hours left. <laughs> the whales were remarkable. But I've got to figure out how to get this thing turned around. And I'm looking, I'm, for the sake of the people, somebody's got to step up. And there was like two dudes still out there with the camera. And I'm like, I hate it that, you know, their deposit or their money is going to, you know, but somebody's got to say something. And, uh, 
And I'll just say, I didn't know how to work that in. Every time the little, little gal walked back uh, and forth, I'd kind of give her a heads up that the majority of us were, had really enjoyed our day at the sea and were, you know, hungry. And, and um, I want to tell you uh, something I learned on that. Uh, every time we saw whales, we saw tons of dolphins, which is amazing, amazing. And uh, learn something about that. Number, number one is because the, the whales stir up food and the dolphins eat the food and it works good. Uh, and then this gal that's on the microphone said, the other thing you'll notice about these dolphins is you don't, you don't see one dolphin, you don't see a couple dolphins, you only see six, you see massive amounts of the dolphins. They're just everywhere together. And why you see that is because uh, they understand that there's great protection. There's food found among these whales and there's protection against another kind of whale, a killer whale. And they do this thing where they stay together in community, they feed together they care, they have this community that cares for one another, don't, don't ask me, but then they have other ones that are on alert and that can send signals to the, to the group when there's any danger nearby. So by staying together, they prevent any attack from an outsider that could take their life. You know what First Peter says? It says, uh, Satan uh, prowls around like a roaring lion. Look, I don't know what Satan's entire plan for your life would be, but I know it would start with this. Separate and isolate. If I can get you out of this community that feeds together, cares for one another, and watches out for attacks they may not otherwise see, if I can get you outside of that, you're dead. You're dead. The dolphins know it, the antelope know it, you watch enough Discovery Channel, the, 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 the animal kingdom understands this. The body of Christ needs to understand this. Satan's first thing, if you can separate and isolate, it's just a matter of time. So understand, uh, we must care for one another, uh, almost 60 one another's meant to be lived out in community. Uh, let, let me say this on that. Um, uh, Colossians 3, I think I've got a few phrases here on the screen uh, from 12 through 16. Just look at this. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Like, because God's been compassionate to you, be compassionate to one another. Look how it fleshes itself, fleshes itself out just in this passage. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against you, forgiving each other. Again, as the Lord forgives you. Great gospel centrality in this passage, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. That you is plural. Dwell in y'all, richly. Teaching and admonishing, look at this, one another. Not just pastor to the congregants, but we speak truth to one another in these accountable relationships in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, thankfulness in our hearts. You see all these one another's that are beginning to be captured in this passage of how we live in community together for our protection, for our nourishment. Uh, James 5, uh, 16, if you want to write down, adds that we uh, pray for one another and then we confess our sins to one another. Two very poignant, vital things, confessing sin to one another, praying for one another. There's a trust in these relations that we're accountable to one another. There's a vulnerability that can be had because we trust one another. Um, Romans uh, uh, 12, 15 says that we rejoice uh, over one another's uh, joys. We sorrow or grieve with those who grieve. Uh, if you think about these phrases, that we grieve and celebrate together, we pray together, uh, we confess our sins together, we're compassionate towards one another. Uh, you begin to find there's this community at work for the sake of our maturity in Christ. And that's what Colossians 1.28 will say. Our goal is to present every single one of us mature in Christ. And it's not my responsibility, and it certainly won't be done through my power. That's our responsibility. Together, that's our goal. You can look at the person on your right and left right now. They may be a stranger, but if they're a, a part of this covenant fellowship, the goal is that we together run a race presenting one another mature unto Christ. 
um, we've grabbed phrases in our membership covenant uh, that is a part of what you sign when you become a member here uh, that are just from all over the New Testament. Um, and, and let me show you a few of these that speak to this idea of one anothering. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together nor neglect to pray for one another in love. Again, assembling together. Uh, and what, why is that? Stir one another up towards good works. Encourage each other in the faith and to pray. We will seek to walk together in brotherly love, exercise affectionate care and watchfulness over one another. Again, we just saw that in Colossians Three, and faithfully admonish and entreat as occasion may require. That means what you think it means. That means I'm inviting you to encourage me and yet also rebuke me. You see something dangerous in my life. You see something that may be a blind spot for me. I need other eyes that I've made myself accountable to so that you can speak truth so that I don't get separated from the pack over here and the killer whales come in. All right, I need somebody on alert. I need help. I need to feed together and live together and be on the lookout for one another. Okay, let me uh, show you just a couple more. We'll endeavor to invest deeply. So not be kind of just come in, come out, um, uh, be in, another, in one another's lives about like we're in the service. No, we're going to invest deeply into relationships across this church for the purpose of knowing, loving, serving one another, being mutually edified in Christ. Because that's what the New Testament says the body of Christ does. Gives us directive after directive. Where do we express that? In a committed, accountable fellowship of believers. We'll rejoice in one another's joy, endeavor with tenderness and compassion to bear one another's burdens and sorrows. Just some of the phrases for what we want to flesh out that the New Testament gives us in terms of our relationships with one another. And so let me say this, it's, it should be obvious, but if you were to join Harvest as a member, if you were to say, I want to be a part of that covenant community, yes, we would expect something of you. We'd expect you to one another, me and us well. We'd expect you to actually care about what's going on in my life, as you do in ours. What I'm teaching my voice, consider others more significant than yourselves. We'd actually have an expectation that you'd be praying for the other brothers and sisters in this family. Like whatever that rhythm looks like, that, that I, I honestly believe, maybe I'm naive, but I believe the members of this body are praying for one another and for me, I believe that. Because we've committed to do that, knowing that we must do that for the sake of our souls. And I would believe that, uh, that, that, that when there's the most difficult times when that turbulent sea takes hold of my life, I won't be at sea alone. There'll be those around me, loving, caring, jumping on the boat, grabbing hold of the mast, being with me in the midst of the storms. Not alone. There's a covenant community that are walking through this together. And you can count on the same from us. That you're not just going to be out there, a dolphin in the great Pacific Ocean, that you will be surrounded by those who love you, care for you, pray for you, weep with you, rejoice for you, rebuke you when necessary. Um, this has got to be more than a group that gathers around uh, like a country club gathered for natural affinity's sake. This is a family of families gathers on a spiritual reality. And that's the gospel. A story that uh, I love of two privates in war, and there uh, is a great minefield uh, that they are running through as they are uh, under heavy fire. Uh, true story, uh, the two privates were with uh, a corporal. They, uh, the corporal's leading them. He jumps into a foxhole, and, uh, and one of them jumps in with them, and they hit the ground, and they're waiting, and the third private never comes. And before, um, before the corporal can stop him, uh, the private gets up and, and jumps out of the foxhole, and the corporal's hollering, uh, stop, come back. 
and it's too late, this, uh, this private sprints across the field and he finds his uh, fallen buddy and he hoists him up and he brings him back and he jumps back in the foxhole and the corporal comes over and he checks and he finds that this soldier that the uh, private went out and rescued is already dead. He had been shot up and he was killed and he had went back for this man who was dead and he looked sternly at the private and he said, you need to obey your orders. Uh, you went out there and risked your life for a man who was already dead. And this private who had went through boot camp with this, uh, with this soldier, it was his best friend. He had been there through thick and thin. And he said, uh, with all due respect, sir, he was not dead when I got to him. And he looked at me and he said, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. And those were his last words. In the body of Christ, you ought to be in a family of families that when the bullets of your life are flying, and they will, you, you don't merely need relation, you don't need casual relationships with others who profess the name of Christ. You need brothers. You need sisters. You need those that you can look at and say, I knew you would come. We were in covenant together, walking out, fleshing out our faith together. Knew you'd come. So the first reason we do this is for the sake of one another. We one another each other until every man is presented mature in Christ, or until he comes again. Secondly, for the sake of your own soul. Now this dovetails a lot with what we've said, but let me just give it to you in a few ways. Last week I talked about C.S. Lewis, the Inklings, how uh, when he lost um, Charles, he thought, you know, at least I'll have more of, uh, of Ronald. But the truth was there was parts of Ronald that could only be known when Charles brought them out. So he not only lost Charles, he lost part of Ronald. And so the idea is that we can know more of God, not merely more about God, but we'll just have more of God when we have him together. And so first is for your own growth and knowledge and encouragement, but it's also, as we've been talking about, it's for your protection. Now let me kind of grab hold of protection and assurance and put them together. When you uh, go through the membership process, one thing you do is you sit down and you share your story with an elder, and that elder's trying to discern something. In a very uh, non-formal way, conversational, he's going to share his story. You're going to get to share yours. And the goal of that, uh, one of the goals of that understanding is, is both there's a, a foundation for relational ministry to continue, but there's also a chance for that elder to hear your story and hear you eloquate the gospel and what Christ has done in your life and say, yes, yes, you know the Lord Jesus. Or for him to hear and discern and go, hey, uh, what you've been told is part of the truth mixed in with some other ideas, but let me tell you the whole truth of Scripture. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me introduce you to the triune God of the Bible. There is an assurance of our salvation that's meant to be part and parcel felt experience because there is an elder who looks at you and says yes. The Bible says there's an assurance there, and then you walk out that assurance in community where you really get to have eyes on one another. You really get to see, now there will be fruit from our life bubbling up in our walk with Christ. And if there's not, if someone just decides that, you know what, that was what I thought a month ago, but now I want to go and I want to just live in sin. Now there's a baseline where an elder or, or, or even any member can come to you and say, in, in love, in caring for you, hey, we covenanted together and you're choosing to live in a, a, a life that is totally outside of the loving commandments of Scripture and that will ultimately bring death. And I, I want to make, like, do you see that? It's grieving me. I love, and, and look, and you know what the Bible even says? If somebody goes so far as to live so obstinately as a non-believer... Even though you might have thought they were, they might have professed to be a believer, if they're going to persist in unrepentant sin, 
then it says you need to go to them. Remember, you need to go to your brother, go to your sister, treat them as a brother, as a sister, appeal to them to come home to Christ. And if that person says, you know what, no, that's not for me anymore, and we all know somebody, this has been a true story in somebody's life, then you grab another brother, another sister, one of the elders, and you go to them and you appeal in love. If they say, you know what, this is Matthew 18, by the way, they say, you know what, I I don't want to come back to Christ. I want to live in unrepentant sin. I want to live, here's the, I want to live like an unbeliever. And it says, last thing, you go to the church, this covenanted fellowship believer, and together you grieve that there's one of the, the community that's choosing to swim alone in a deep, dark sea amidst killer whales. And together you pray that this one would return to Christ. And in the meantime, here's what you do. You treat him like a non-believer, a Gentile or tax collector. That's not to mean you shame them. Doesn't mean you don't like them. Gentile or tax collector means non-believer. Pray for their soul. Their soul is in jeopardy. They've removed themselves from the fellowship. So you got to treat them like an unbeliever and pray that God restores them to salvation with him. In that situation, I don't know that I know that a guy is saved or not saved. He may be in a season where he's wandering. God may bring him home. Maybe he was never saved. That's to the Lord. What we do is mercifully treat him like a Gentile as he's living like one. That there may be an alarm in his soul that would bring him back to repentance. Now, let me just say something. That process I just laid out is something that uh, I think about. Like, what if that's me one day? And, and you go, oh, you know, surely, can you undo that? I mean, David lived like that for a season of his life, am I, if there's, am I not capable? Certainly I'm capable of living in that kind of sin. So when I think about the, 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 the um, plausibility of me living in a life of sin, here's a, in a moment of sanity, like right now, I'd say, hey, body of harvest, I need help. I don't wanna ever be that guy in that story I just painted. I need folks that are praying for me, that are loving me, that are walking with me, and, me. and if, if I go that route, I need you to do to me what Jesus said, because that would be an incredible extension of God's mercy in my life. In a moment of sanity, I want to ask you guys to do this with me in case I ever go insane. Do you understand? I need to be accountable to a body. We must be accountable to one another. And in a moment when you understand that your greatest desire is Christ, your greatest need is Christ, your greatest delight is Christ, you safeguard against letting Satan ever get some foothold of sin in your life where you go the way of the unbeliever. Are y'all with me? It's a little bit heavy, but that's what the New Testament says. So it's for your own soul, your growth, your assurance, your protection, and your perseverance. Let me give you another one. It's for the sake of the unbeliever. John 13, 35 says, this is how the world will know that you're mine by the way you love one another. Again, it's not just this, oh, I love other Christians. The world is meant to see a tangible expression of a love that is undefinable to them. It's unusual to them. It's peculiar. And what makes it more peculiar is because it doesn't fit any of the grids the world teaches you to love through. It's not a love based on the color of your skin. It's not a love based on your cultural background. It's not a love based on the Greek letters of the fraternity or sorority you were in. It's not a love based on your high school or college or even your country. And all the grids, they go, oh, that makes sense that they would like love each other and you know, it would go so deep. There's a depth of the way we love each other, like nobody walks together with that kind of vulnerability, transparency, 
allows one another to rebuke each other, feeds on the word together, protects one another. Like nobody else loves that deeply, and yet no one else loves that broadly across everything that normally would divide us. The world looks at that and go, has to be Christians. That's what Jesus said. They'll know you're mine if you will really love one another. That's expressed and made visible. We are a visible display of the transforming power of the gospel. Not just Sunday morning when we belt out our praises, but every day of the week as we live out in covenant relationship the directives of scripture, really loving each other and considering one another more significant than ourselves. You see how the gospel compels us towards membership. Whether we call it membership or not, we do, but it's to a covenant relationship, accountable to one another. In this place, we're going to walk out our faith for the sake of one another, for the sake of our own soul, for the sake of a lost world that needs to know there is a life-changing, life-transforming power found only in the gospel of Christ that you can never experience anywhere else. Well, also, I'd say it's for your leaders. Two more, for your leaders. Um, the Bible gives some incredibly intimidating texts uh, to those who would elder, um, who would be shepherds, overseers, elders, pastors. That's the same word in the text. And, and uh, three particular passages that are extremely scary um, for anyone that's in the office of elder. Hebrews 13 says, you watch over them as those who will have to give an account for their soul. So an elder has to give an account for the soul. By the way, the soul of who? Anyone who ever floats in and floats out of this place? That doesn't make any sense. How could we even know those people, much less give an account? There has to be some boundary line. There has to be some fence around who is in this flock, who's in this pasture, that the shepherd must literally know to the point they can give an account to God for the spiritual care of their soul. Has to be some way to know these folks. So membership is the way that the leaders know who they are giving an account to God for. Goes further, uh, 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 1 Peter 5 says that you be careful with them, uh, uh, you serve them willingly and compassionately. Who? These people that are in the covenant fellowship. Uh, Acts 20, 28 says um, that you do this so carefully because these are the ones that Christ bought with his blood. Like the bar just keeps getting so high that I find myself prostrate. The greatest thing I can do for you guys is just pray. Because there's such a weight of spiritually caring for this particular flock, this particular local visible expression of the whole. So let me ask you the question. That's the, that's the mantle. That's what the elder will be held accountable before God. And we don't mince any words about that. We don't try to lighten that. Um, uh, there's some uh, potential elders in process right now that, that have been nominated by our body, vetted by elders. They're going through uh, very soon. We hope to have a time to introduce those before you guys and, and go through the process of having a month where you guys can give us feedback before there's a time to install. But those guys, I've been talking to them and saying, understand the weight of this. We've got to be true to what the scripture says. Uh, I'm, not, we're not, I'm not asking you to do this unless the Lord leads you, but I am saying if you do it, you must understand what you're doing. You will stand before the Lord. And you will give an account for the soul of those people that are members in this body. That's weighty. What are you going to give an account for if you're a member? What do you give an account for in terms of the leadership? By the way, you guys aren't off the hook. The one anothering, it's not, the, it's not eldering, it's one anothering. We're accountable to one another just as we are as a body submitted to the elders. 
But in this specific application, listen, here, here's what you must know. First, uh, Thessalonians 5 says you are to um, respect your elders. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 says you are to honor your elders. Hebrews 13 says you are to obey and submit to your elders. Elders are going to give an account. You're going to give an account. And I would just ask the question, how do you honor and esteem and respect and obey and submit to the elders without ever uh, making yourself known to be a part of the flock that can be loved and cared for and given account to God. Like, how can you do that? I don't know how you could do that. The, the, the obedience to that passage, to those passages for the, for the Christian is to make yourself known so that the leaders can faithfully care for your soul. Again, the process we have that here is covenant membership with one another. One last one, for the sake of the glory of God. For the glory of God. Uh, Philippians 2 says that Christ made himself nothing. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Made himself nothing. Uh, taking on uh, human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even death on a cross. That's what Christ did. That's what he did for us. So Christ's likeness will always look like a humbling, uh, a loss of pride, a loss of self, an unselfishness. Christ's likeness will always be somehow making myself nothing so that others might be exalted in him. And I think membership is one of the most practical, tangible, real, weighty things that you can do to step into Christ's likeness, which glorifies God. If his people are being conformed to the image of his son, he is glorified in that. There was a young man that's going through the Emerging Leader Program. You, you guys met some of them um, last week. I had a conversation with him this week, and, and he said, um, he said, can I really appreciate the service there at Harvest? I was struck by my need for corporate worship and uh, kind of my selfishness in that. I've had that consumer mentality you talked about. But he said, you know what? I've had that consumer mentality uh, about a lot more than just corporate worship. He says, I realized that most of my life, even adult Christian life, and he just, got, he just finished a uh, Christian college, most of my life is spent trying to figure out what's best for me. He said, I was so overwhelmed, not just by the need to not be a consumer in corporate worship, but by the need to not be a consumer, that Christ wasn't a consumer in any capacity. He said, I felt overwhelmed. This was not the precise application last week. He said, I felt overwhelmed. I need to be one that gives myself for others. My whole life has been about what I'm going to do and the uh, job I'm going to get and who I'm going to marry and, and uh, who's going to serve me in this way in my church. I'm going to be It's just me. And Christ was others. The gospel compels us to not separate and isolate and be about ourselves. It wars against isolationism, individualism, wars against it. And it compels us, lay our lives down for one another. The place you get to lay your life down for the sake of one another, your own soul, your leaders, non-believers, and for the glory of God. It's called covenant membership. It's assumed in the New Testament. I'm going to be praying that God presses upon your heart. If it's not here, there would be somewhere in a local 
visible display of the gospel called the local church, that somewhere you would sign and you would say, I'm in, hold me accountable, and I'm going to hold you accountable. Teach me, I'm going to teach you. Love me, I'm going to love you. Care for me, I'm going to care. Weep with me, I'm going to weep with you. I am a part of a visible display of the gospel. Father, may we be a church that understands membership not as some kind of a burden, but as an unbelievable privilege that there might be a flock, a family that we do life with that is for our own protection out of the, your heart of loving kindness and compassion. That is your idea spoken of throughout your word. May we experience the fullness of that, the community of that, the goodness of that. May there be fruit of that in our lives and in the lives of anyone that steps into this place, whether they're a believer or not. Let there be a richness to the texture of membership here that we desire and that we thrive in. Because you said this covenant community was something we need and brings glory to you. So we, we submit to that. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.